Okay, we're in the book of 1 John. Started last week in the book of 1 John. Did chapter 1 last week. We go on to chapter 2. Tonight we met John who had that very unusual point of view, that plain, clear thinking that was kind of deep, but still meant for us. And we always remember that God didn't uh, make it so that every ordinary day people can't get it. (laughs) We can all get it. We can all think about it. We can grasp it. And he intended that to be that way. So... Uh, We talked about last week, uh, we're going to sin. If we say we're not sinners, we're liars. Uh, But we have something we can do. We can talk to God and confess. And He'll bring light to our mind. And He'll cleanse us, we said, from all unrighteousness. And so we begin chapter 2 now. 1 John chapter 2. And the great discussion among smart fellows is who's John writing to? Who's this book written to? Uh, He didn't say in the beginning like Paul did with all his other uh, letters this is to the people of Philippi, this is to the church in Corinth and we always had a city and we could you know look into the city and try to figure out what was going on. John didn't say that. He didn't say anything. He said I'm writing a letter and uh, we wonder who he writes it to and some people have said and when I read that long garbledy gook to you last week you said what's that all about? Well it's about a group of people that were called the Gnostics. The Gnostics. You don't care about that, but we probably got them today uh, in places like uh, Christian Science. Uh, Christian Science are kind of Gnostic in their thoughts. And what what it means to say is a Gnostic said there's a material world and there's a spiritual world, and never the two shall meet. All right, and John comes along. He says, "Well, here's the spiritual world. There was God up there in the beginning, the Word." And he came down and was made flesh. And so the spiritual world came into the material world. And so some people think that he was talking to these Gnostics. And you know what Christian scientists say. They say you can always be healed in your spiritual part. Well, my problem is the physical part. (laughs) Right? That's where we get sick, right? And so they said, well, just ignore that. You know, it's it's a spiritual thing. Well, you know, it's called dualism. That is, spiritual things are one thing and material things are the other thing. And never the twain shall meet. And that's, well, so people think, well, John was writing to the Gnostics. And I'm going to say, no, here's who he's writing to. Ready? My little children. There you go. That's who he's writing to. He says, my little children. And uh, he's writing to people that he calls his children. Probably people that he knew along the way. But he's trying to, in this text, and in the whole book, he's trying to encourage us. How do we think about God? And how do we think about each other? And he says, well, what we want to do is begin to think of people in terms of family. Family. 
He says, I want you to think of the church and of God as your father, and Jesus as your older brother, and the church are brothers and sisters. And so that's why I want you to begin to think like a family. And so I think in this passage in particular, he's stressing the idea uh, think of you, what it's like to be in a family. And we're going to apply that to the Christian life. And so I'm sure he's writing to Christians that he has known that he calls my little children. And uh, he'll go on a little bit more. Now here we go. <coughs> Chapter 2. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Okay. <laughs> How do we like that? He says, okay. No more sinning. Okay. So that's why I'm writing to you so you'll stop sinning. How are we all doing with that? Alright. How's that sounds like quite a, a demand to make. No more sinning. Well, I think uh that has been an argument down through the ages for two thousand years. How can he tell us not to sin? And I'm gonna say, how can he do anything but tell us to stop sinning? All right, that's the that's the thing. He said, "Well, I'm going. I know I'm gonna. Yeah, me too. I'm gonna too. All right, but I'm gonna try to stop." And that's what he's saying. Don't stop trying. He said, "You got to work on that and trying to get a handle on that, and so that we uh, will live our lives free of sin." So, are we supposed to be perfect? Yeah, you're supposed to be. You're not going to make it. All right. And when they take me over and throw me in the ground over on the next road over, then I'll make it. All right. And heaven is no more sin. So then we'll be perfect up there. And until then, we're going to strive and strive and struggle and deal with it. And so we can't say, well, we got our few pet sins. It's okay. Well, it's not okay. We've got to do what we can. He's coming right out pretty boldly and say, uh, <clears throat> I write to you that you sin not. Well, that's pretty. There you go. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Are you, now you're going to stop sinning or not? And, you're gonna, and everybody's going to say, I can't do that. So he says, next phrase, if any man sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so he says... We have an advocate in Jesus. We have an advocate, he calls him. And then, next verse, he is, and he is the propitiation for our sins. All right? And we all know what propitiation is. We use that word every day, right? <laughs> propitiation. That's a mouthful. All right? The two go together. And he's just told us to stop sinning. And we, I can't do that. I know you can't. So remember, in the family, we have an advocate. Uh, I would use the word lawyer there, except for my experience with lawyers would tell me, no, that's probably not the right word. But we talk about somebody who... Uh, has the power and the right 
to plead our cause. And we say, well, that's what lawyers do. Well, I've had a few that didn't do that very well, okay? <laughs> and so here's, he says, uh, an advocate, he's going to plead your case. Or when you do sin, he's going to go to God as your go-between. And he's going to advocate for you. He's going to go to God, the Father, and say, look, I'm here to talk about what they did. That makes me want to stop sinning right there. Jesus goes to the Father, well, you know, you think in human terms, you say, well, what did he do this time? You know, well, he did this. Well, that's not how God does it. All right, Jesus comes and he says, I have the right. I'm here on their behalf. I'm here to speak on their behalf. And as a propitiation, and what does that mean? Well, that's the big million-dollar word. Propitiation means he is able uh, to uh, change God's mind, if you will, or actually the word is more precisely to turn away God's wrath. God gets angry. The Bible says God is angry at sinners every day. And it talks about in the book of Deuteronomy that uh, the anger of God is growing and growing and it's like a big dam. And it keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And there comes a day when that anger is going to be poured out. And that's when we read, he will tread the wine press of the wrath of Almighty God. Or Jesus will come as the judge of the earth and say, here's what God's angry with, and we're going to squeeze every drop of anger out. All right, but he says, now, for you and I, when we do sin, even though we were told not to, when we do, we have somebody, Jesus, is going to go to God and say, I'm here on their behalf. Because you kind of think like, well, I just tell God what I want and I get it. Well, that's not how it works. You go and you tell Jesus, and Jesus says, I'll speak for you. And he goes and speaks for us, and then he is able to turn away the wrath so God's not angry with us anymore. I'm really happy about that. That may be the happiest thing I've seen in a long time. I don't want God angry at me. That's the last thing I want. And so if Jesus is able to go to God on our behalf and turn away the wrath of God, that's going to be helpful to know. That way I can approach him without shaking in my boots. And so we have the command, you've got to stop sinning. That's what we want you to do. You're going to fail. We understand. Here's what you're going to do. Verse 2. He is a propitiation. Or he can turn God's wrath away. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is capable of advocating for everybody that was ever born ever. It's a very tragic thing that people throw that out. There's people in the world, I don't care about that. They throw out the advocacy of Jesus Christ, who's the only one that can make God not mad. All right, so uh, we have an instruction which says, 
impossible, nearly impossible, we say. How are we going to do it? And so here, here's it, our verse 3. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Right, so God says, here's what you need to do. If you know God, if you say, well, I do know God. He's my father. All right, then you must obey what he commands. What God says to do, that's what you can do. It's a very useful thing to have a red letter edition Bible because you can go through and read what Jesus said very easily. And when you do that, you find out a lot of things that God said to do. So you got to do the things that he says. And he says here, uh, if, we, if we do know him, we say we know him, if we keep his commandments, he that saith, verse 4, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. So we have a responsibility not to sin. Well, how do we know what to do in life? He's told us a lot of things that we need to do. And those are the things that we get when we read the Bible. And they're necessary for us uh, in order to grasp that we love God, you got to prove it. Do you know Him? Do you disobey God? If you do, then you don't know God. You don't really know Him. You obey His command. All right? God loves me. And watch this, verse 6. He that saith he abides in Him ought himself also to walk even as He walked. So if you say, well, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, then you should walk like him right? or do what Jesus did you do what Jesus did and in order to do that you begin to have a family resemblance there's a family resemblance there's something about a person who does what God tells them to do and they start to he says walk like Jesus walked and I, I had people come to me and say, you walk like your father. Or you walk like your grandfather. And yet, you know what I mean? You watch people and you say, they even walk like. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to walk like Jesus. Live your life like Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. So there's a family characteristic that we show that is like Jesus. So you're going to have to get your head in the Bible and see what he was like. Patient? Yeah. Did you see him lose his temper ever? No, you never saw him lose his temper. No, you did not. He did not lose his temper when he had a whip in his hand. You thought he lost his temper? No, he didn't. He's just fixing what's wrong. All right. He did not lose his temper. Lose his temper indicates out of control. Jesus never out of control. Not even once. Not even once. All right. So you go, you ready to follow that example? Can you do that one? That's a tough one. All right. Those are things though that Jesus did. He was always in control. He calmly sat down and made a whip. And he got up and he said, "Get that thing." 
out of here. This is my father's house. We're going to pray here. We're not going to cheat people here. Get it out. Calm, but firm. Very intense. He did not lose his temper. He never did ever. All right. So we got to learn about Jesus. Get to know what he's like watching him. You know, look at the abuse he took. Tremendous amount of abuse he took. Could you take that much? That'd be hard. That'd be hard. So when he says don't sin, he says, well, okay, I'll show you. Jesus, do what he did, and you're going to be fine. Well, it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier said than done. So um, let's go on. Because there's two verses here that give us a pretty interesting outlook. Seven. Brethren, there he is. Family again, isn't it? Family. He's always using family terms to describe us. My little children, no. Brethren, I write new, no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So he says, we got an old commandment for you. Why don't you obey the command? We have an old commandment. And then... He says, verse 8, and again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. So, he says, I have both an old and a new commandment. An old and a new commandment. And I want you to think about those. They're important. We want you to grasp that there's an old one and a new one. And uh, uh, where does the new one come in? Where does the old one come in? Well, in the Old Testament, in the Old Commandments, it was what? Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Obey those commandments. No more sinning, right? Obey those commands. That's what. The, that's how we want you to live. We want you to do what God asks you to do. And when He sets a boundary and says you can't go outside of that, you you got to do that. All right. Then He says, "But I'm giving you a new commandment, so it's going to be more helpful." It's in John chapter thirteen. John chapter thirteen. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So the old commandment is obey the rules, do what you're told. The new commandment is love each other. You see how much easier that makes it? (laughs) <laughs> How much better does that make it? If we love each other, 
you're less likely to argue, less likely to fight, less likely to have a temper tantrum, and all those things that are part of our problem, he says, uh, much less likely if what? We're going to add now, so I'm going to command you, this is what I want you to start doing, I want you to love one another, I expect you to do it, I want you to do it. So what's it become now? A big family, right? Where people love each other. He's trying to communicate the idea all through here of a family. And he said, God gave us something new because we knew we had some trouble and it was, don't do this and don't do that. And uh, we kind of grew up, at least I did, with those ideas. I remember there was a book in the church Seven Deadly Sins. My Sunday school teacher encouraged me, you better read that book. And one was playing cards, one was dancing, you know, etc., etc. And I remember when I went to school and they said, we're going to dance today. And I thought, what am I going to do now? How am I going to do that? I'm not supposed to do that. So I said, I'll do it and I'll shut my mom. <laughs> I will not tell mom and dad that I did it. So I did it and it was, it was kind of fun. Matter of fact, we had a great time. And I thought, I wonder if they're right. I wonder if those are the things that we're not supposed to do. And somebody had a deck of cards on the bus and we played cards on the bus. Man, I was a reprobate. Playing cards and dancing and doing, obviously, okay, there is in the old concepts the real extreme chance that they're, they're going to go overboard, start to tag everything as sin. Going to the movies was another one. Don't you go to a movie? I didn't go to a movie till I was I don't know how old. Went to the drive-in, the first movie. Uh, but you weren't supposed to do all that. But that's what changes when Jesus comes along. So I want you to love each other. I want you to uh, enjoy each other. And so it changes the flavor of it instead of always... I remember I bought a record to church... And I asked the pastor to listen to it. It was My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. And I wanted him to explain it. Well, he didn't say anything about it. I went home. He went home, told my father, he said, Eric was making the kids dance in church. He blew me in to my father. My father said to me, I'm going to smash all your records. Wasn't right wasn't right. It was going over the line. There's a reasonable thing. You're going to go in the Bible. You're going to find the things that we're not supposed to do. You're not going to make huge lists. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Making list after list after list of things that you couldn't do until you know, you you couldn't uh, start a fire uh, on Sunday or the Sabbath day. Couldn't start a fire on a Sabbath because that was work. So you couldn't walk too far 
unless you were walking home. And so everybody was stretching the rules, and they'd say, I'm going to take a little, three, four little loaves of bread and a drink. I'm going to go two miles down the road and plant it there. That'll be my home tomorrow. Then I can walk two miles there, two miles back. Going home. I was just going home. Well, that's how ridiculous it gets. And so we say, well, John's saying here, you got to keep, you got to obey the commandments. You do. And they're clear enough, all right? And he's going to go on to help us to understand what those are. But he said, the rules that God set, thou shalt not, shall not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. All right? And there's others along the course, thou shalt not kill. Those, there's rules in there that God says. We've got to abide by those rules. Now Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to help you a great deal. Here's the new rule. You've got to love each other. That's going to help you immensely uh, in keeping the rules. All right? So let's go on. Verse 8 again. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is past and a true light now shineth. And so he said, love will lead to light and it will lead to understanding. You need to understand it. You're going to grasp things that are true. All right? On the other hand, hatred leads to darkness. And the darkness is actually going to lead you to a way of life, a hatred, a way of life. It's out of focus living. Because you can't understand how life works and how God works. You don't get it. And so you get out of focus when you're living, when hatred takes over. So he said, I want love to be the rule, and then you'll have a grasp of what's true. So how are we doing? Where are we on our grasp? Verse 9. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. You can say, "I I get it, I understand, but if you hate somebody, no, you don't understand. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. The relationships work good when we operate with the principle of love. All right? Verse 11. He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness has blinded his eye. That is, he has this out of focus way of life. And that's not going to get you where you need to go. Alright, now. Where are we in all that? Where are you in growing up with these two principles? God said the old commandment, do what I ask you, the new commandment, love each other. Where are you going with that? How are you progressing? Verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So he says, uh, we have stages, people in different stages of growth. And the first stage of growth is uh, little children. Right to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. I want you to get that, that your sins are forgiven. All right? And that's where you're going to start. 
as a little child, you're going to start getting your sins forgiven. I'm not talking about little children like over next door. I'm talking about people who are starting out in a Christian walk. And sometimes people don't grow very fast in the Christian walk. Sometimes they grow quickly. Sometimes they kind of get stayed in one place. Sometimes they remain little children. I sin, I ask forgiveness. I sin, I ask forgiveness. But he said, children, I want you to think about it now. You've been forgiven. Where are you going to focus? Let's go on to the next one here. Um, Verse 13. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. So on the third level... He calls them fathers, older people in the faith, older people in the faith, and they know God. They know God. All right? So they're older and they've come to know God. Don't the little ones know God? Well, we'll see what he says. We'll see what he says about that. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And so there's somebody in the middle, and they are maturing. They're starting to grow up as Christians. And he says, uh, you've overcome. So you had the problem of sin. And what happened to them? They just got it forgiven. They're the first time dealing with getting my sins forgiven. Somebody a little farther along, what happened? They overcame. And as they struggled with it, and they won a victory, they won, and they got rid of that sin out of their life. And then, there's one down here, a grown-up, mature Christian. He knows God. All right, let's look on a little farther. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. What do they know about God? Well, they know that he loves them. He loves them. Why? Because he forgave them. And so the first thing we want to know when we're growing up as Christians, we want to know what? That God loves us. And that's what they become very convinced about. A lot of times when you get a new Christian, they're happy. They're really happy. They're happier than the rest of you. Because they come face to face and they forgave me. <laughs> he loves me. It's great. I love it. I think it's wonderful. God loves me. Right? And so they're starting out there and beginning to know something about God. All right? And I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. They get to know. I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Now, what do the mature Christians know? They know how God works, how God acts, what God wants. They know a whole lot more about God than this one who's just been forgiven. What does God expect of me? What does God require me? Remember we had Micah 6.8 a couple weeks ago. What does the Lord, he showed the old man what is good. What does the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. 
right? There's things that he knows what God wants. He knows how God works. He knows what God does. And that knowledge comes from a maturity. He's grown up. He's older in the faith than the little ones who are just coming to know that God's their loving Father. And I've written to you, 14, uh, I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So he says these maturing ones who are starting to grow up, he says they have overcome handling the problem of sin in their life and how are they doing it by focusing on the word of God and there's a good point right? you want to grow up as a Christian you get your head in the Bible and start learning that's really I don't think there's any other way you know, you're going to you just dream about it or you know, wish it, it doesn't happen. You get your head in the Bible, find out what it says. And he says, these young people who are maturing now are overcoming. They're doing what I asked them to do is no more sinning. They're overcoming because they got their head in the Bible and they're learning the Word of God. Right, so he now has a family, what? With older folks, maturing folks, with younger folks turning into a big family. It's all about the connections, he says, that we have with each other, how we can be useful and helpful to each other. And now, he says, you're focusing, you know what I asked you to do, and I told you if you love each other, then you'll be like him, you'll have a family resemblance, and you're part of this family. So how are you doing that? that? Doing good, doing good. Is that all that we got a problem with? No. Here's the next one. Love not the world, things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he says, okay, here's what we got to watch for. These are the things that are going to trip us up. He says, if you have... Love, it needs to be for what? Each other and for my father and the family. He says, but you could have love for the world. And the world out there offers us a lot of things. A lot of things out there that the world offers you. And he says, if you get, so you love those things. If you really think those are just what I want, you got a problem. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So he mentions three things that are in the world. He says there's the lust of the flesh, lust or desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and he calls it pride of life. Pride of life. Those three things are things you really got to watch out for. What's the lust of the flesh? Appetites, desires that we have that come from inside ourselves, our flesh, our old nature, 
those things are in us. It could be sexual. They're certainly included in that. Uh, but there are other desires that we have, too, that are part of our human makeup. And he says those things, the world is saying, here, here, have some of this. In, in Pilgrim's Progress, it was Vanity Fair. Anybody remember? They went to Vanity Fair. And they're walking through the fair. You can buy anything you want. You can buy it. And the world offers these things. What do you want? You can have it. All right? The desire of the eyes is greediness. If I see it, I want it. I want it. And that is, uh, I want money or anything that money can buy. Any kind of thing out there is going to make me happy. The more I get, the happier I'll be. And... uh, it's the lust of the eyes. I see that some people are consumed by that. And the other one is the pride of life. The pride of life is power over others. Boy, there's a lot of that around. So where do you go for the lust of the flesh? Well, you can go to Las Vegas and get all you want there. Lust, uh, lust of the eyes, go to New York City, you got a lot there. Uh, pride of life, that's Washington, D.C. <laughs> that's the, the drive for power. And you look at, at the TV and you see what's going on down there, you understand that is somebody who's totally sold himself over to the world. It is the pride of life. We want power, and we want it more than any other thing. We don't care how we get it. We don't care what it is. We've got to have power over others. And of course, that works in small ways. All right. Works in small ways. Can work in the church. I want power over others. Can work very easily in the church. I've seen a lot of that. All right. The desire of the eyes. It's a fascinating thing to me that you can turn on uh, ten supposedly religious channels, and nine of them are talking about getting money. And what is it? It's the it's the lust of the eyes, entirely sold out to the world. It's the lust of the eyes. We want something, and you get some of these poor fools that go on there. I gave my seed of a thousand dollars and I got a check in the mail from God for twenty three thousand. You know, that that's now you're all happy, huh? Sold out to the lust of the eyes, the desire, the greed. Wall Street kind of thinking. Or of course the pride of life. Those are the things that are out there. And in this world, they are a real trap for us. Verse 17, the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So, he said, if you get hooked on one of these things along the way, and all your effort to try and grow is going to be just smashed into pieces. So, the world is out there enticing and inviting saying, come Come and get some of these things. We're offering them to you. And so these are very powerful things in the world. And that's why he said, 
Don't love the world. Don't love it. Make sure that your focus is not on the world out there, but on the kingdom. We're going to pray what? Thy kingdom come. We want the kingdom of God to come. And we are not enticed by and not uh, any invitation we get, we're, just, we're not interested. We just don't want it. All right? That's why he says you have eternal life. What is any of those to that? What's all the money in the world to eternal life? It's nothing. It's nothing compared to eternal life. And he says, what do you got? Is that what, is that what you want to focus on? Don't do it. And he's teaching us how to grow up. Watch out for the traps which are here. All right? Here's another trap. Verse 18. Little children, again, the family, the ones that need most instruction, the little children, it's the last time. As you have heard, Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. Right, and John's talking about the last time in the earth age it started with Jesus on the cross. All right. And what did they do to him? Well, they killed him. They killed him. They were anti-Christ. And that started a whole time frame that will go to the very end of time. And he said, you heard of a person called Antichrist. And Jesus talked about him. He's in quite a few places described in the Bible. Book of Daniel describes him pretty clearly. Uh, and Jesus describes Antichrist. Uh, Paul talks about Antichrist. There will be a person coming that will ultimately be rejection of Christ starting at the cross of Jesus Christ, would begin and lead on and on and on and on and on and on until it climaxes in one human stepping in and being the Antichrist or that the spirit that was started when they crucified Jesus will come to a climax in a man called Antichrist. Right, and he says, so we're warning you about anti-Christ or the attitude that's against Jesus. It's against Christ. And here it is, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. All right, so he says, we had people in our early groups, and they left us. They left us. They couldn't stay with us. Why? Because they were not for Christ. They were against Christ. They were anti-Christ. And he said, that's how you can tell sometimes. How do you know somebody is anti-Christ? Because they won't stay with Christians. They'll want to get out. Get away from it. And this is the family that God has ordained should be a family growing up together 
And he says, there's a, there's a force out there in the world besides the lust of the flesh and the greed and the hunger for power. He said, besides that, there's a spirit of antichrist, anti-Jesus, all right, anti-Jesus. And the one primary truth that he taught us right away, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's a primary fact that we base what we believe on that fact. Jesus is God in the flesh. All right? And so along come people say, well, no, he's not. He's not really God in the flesh. And people deny Jesus. And from the beginning, they denied him. And they will do the same thing as we go along, continually denying him. And so here is my favorite in this passage, verse 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. <laughs> What's an unction? Well, an unction is a special gift or an anointing. Alright, and this anointing from the Holy One, from God, and from God the Spirit, probably most imprecisely, if you're going to put it, he says, you have an unction, or you have an anointing, uh, so that you know all things. You have a special gift to know all things. You know everything. Anybody here know everything? So what does he mean when he says you know all things? When it comes to who Jesus is, we know all things. We know who he is. We know where he came from. We know what he was before he came to earth. We know what he is after he went back to heaven. All right, seated on the right hand of God. And we know what he did. He became advocate. He became propitiation. He became all those things that we know a lot about God, and we have God putting that information in our heads, turning the darkness to light. And I am so thankful for that. All right, God comes to us and gives us information. He wants us to know. All right? And so we have an anointing to know. Now, I'm not trying to pick on people tonight, but I'm going to say, people say, well, I have an anointing and I say words and I don't know what they are. Speak in, in a tongue. And I'm, I always think to myself, every time I deal with God, I get smarter. I don't come out with things that I don't know what they are and nobody knows what they are. The anointing of God is what? What he says right here, he's going to clear up your mind, help you to understand, make it so you grasp what God is and how God operates. And that is the anointing that we've been given to know, to know, to have light in the mind. All right? That's an important thing. Verse 21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. 
said, I want you to know, and I open your mind to know. And Jesus said, when I see the Holy Spirit, he's going to take my things and tell you. That's how he explained the work of the Spirit. He says, the thing that I've been explaining to you, he's going to come into your mind and enlighten you to understand what God wants, what God meant when he said that. And so that is, to me, in this passage, I want to know that I have to follow the rules. I want to know that I need to love like a family loves and we grow up together in a family. I want to know those things. But I want to know I got help coming into my mind. Coming into my understanding and making it so that I can understand what God wants. God is not a mystery that we can never grasp. There's things about him that we can't grasp. All right, I can't grasp what three and one is. I can't wrap my head around that. Well, how can there be one God who exists in three persons? I, I don't know. Some things I have to just believe. But I know quite a bit about what happened when he died. And what that did. And when he rose from the grave, what that did. And so we have a lot of information that God puts into us. You know the things that you need to know. Alright? There's nothing you needed to know that God didn't tell you. It's there. Yeah? You needed to know it. It's in the Bible. It's explained in probably several places. And there it is. He says, so I wrote to you, he says, because you knew. You knew what was true. Verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So he's saying there's people out there who are trying to attack Jesus. And I've you Mormon church uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are particularly against Jesus as he is they'll say oh that's the other God <laughs> no 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 you, you got it wrong you are anti Christ verse 23 he that denieth the son the same hath not the father but he that acknowledges the son hath the father also let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you and you also shall continue in the son and in the father and this is the promise that he has promised us even eternal life alright so he says believe accept take the information into your mind he's promised us eternal life. Verse 26. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So, there are going to be people who are going to come along, outside forces, anti-Christ forces, are going to come in and try to convince you that Jesus is just not everything you need. You need something else. You're going to need to, he's not really who he said he was, and we're going to cling to that. He's who he is. John's explained it to us. God in the flesh, 
And we're going to believe that with all our hearts. 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth, is no lie. Even that it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Now little children, abide in him. Stick with him. Believe on him. When she, he shall appear, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And that's just a fascinating thought to me. Someday he says he's going to break the eastern sky and take a lap around the world. You know, see, Jesus just came back. People are going to say, oh, that can't be him. Oh, yeah, they're going to know that day who he is when he traverses the world and comes and lands on the Mount of Olives and the thing splits in half and uh, it's just a fascinating series of events and he said and the people who uh, pierced him it says denied him they'll see and what do they do? Cry out let the mountains cover me hurry up I'm afraid I'm afraid they better be afraid you and I, when he comes, <laughs> we knew he, who, he's, who he was. We knew what he said. We knew he was coming. And when he shows up, man, it's going to be a day you're going to, you won't be able to sleep for weeks. Because it'll be so exciting. When Jesus Christ steps on her and says, I told you, the way I went before, I'm coming back. Here I am. I got my foot on the earth again on the Mount of Olives. And I'm here to fix the mess. Man, won't that be exciting? But for a lot of people who have been seduced by the concept of Antichrist, which is in the world all over, people who believe that Jesus somehow wasn't who he said he was, uh, it's going to be an awful time. An awful time. So, uh, it's the family living and working together, growing up, making sure that we do what we're told to do. We got it in our mind. We got to stop sinning. We do. We're okay. We got a way to be forgiven, but we got to get that in our mind. We're going to do what's right. And then God's going to help us warn you against the world, against the spirit of Antichrist in the world that's out there. So you know, so you know to watch out for those things and stick with the kingdom, stick with the church, stick with God, and he'll help you grow and understand what you need to know. Next week we go on.